Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life podcast. We're delighted to be partnering with PwC for this uh, week's episode. Whether you're a first year graduate or uh, in between, PwC has a program for you. So have a look at their website, www.pwc.ie forward slash student and have a look at all the programs they've got there. They've literally got tons. So there's something for everyone there. This week, we've got with us Patrick Everson, who is an audit and assurance trainee within the Asset and Wealth Management Division within PwC. So Patrick, thanks a million for joining. Thanks, Mark. Delighted to be here. So we'll pick you up in uh, college. You went to uh, NUIG and you did a Bachelor of Commerce. Did you, spe- did you specialize in accounting and finance and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So um, when I would have started my journey off, uh, I actually specifically went into a Bachelor of Commerce Yeah, with the specialization in accounting, um, which would have, if I take myself back, it's slight, it would have been slightly higher points than the general commerce. But the different, the only ma- minor difference is, is that you do go into a higher level of accounting in the first year. Um, and you basically stay ahead of general commerce in terms of uh, accounting. But all my rest of my other subjects were generally mixed in with uh, the, the general commerce group. Um, okay. And it was just the points that really differentiated us. Yeah. I actually have a question here that I really wish I could, I could have asked years ago when I was making this decision. So by doing that, you say you're ahead of the others in accounting. What does that practically mean? What are the practical benefits of that? Obviously, you're studying probably cap ones a bit earlier and that sort of thing. But, you know, does that save you a year or two on a grad program or does it get you more money or more exposure early in your career? Like how do, what are the practical inputs of it? Yeah, so so I suppose the first one that you've already mentioned is um, so the, uh, the Bachelor of Commerce Accountant with specialization, it does give you um, that guarantee of an, of an exemption from your CAP 1 um, exams if you obviously pass all your exams first time. So it does provide that exemption from your CAP 1s. Um, and it, the program is designed so that it's the program is designed so that you have to do those subjects in order to get your cap on exemptions whereas if you're in general commerce and um, you have to kind of choose your subjects in order to get the cap on exemption so you need to be a bit more cognizant cognizant of what you need to choose in order to get those cap one exemptions on the other side of it um you you are pro, you are in a better position in terms of understanding accounting earlier on so you do um maybe it might be a little bit more complicated double entry it might be a bit more focused on things like consolidation it might be more focused on specific uh, standards um you know and, and that kind of harder part of accounting where in the general commerce you're kind of going in and you're literally breaking it all up and you're learning about okay well what is a debit and what is a credit and you're you're starting very much from the base of that you have no accounting knowledge at all yeah and yeah and then just on the final point then on the money wise um and on kind of maybe looking at that in terms of moving into a big four accountants or it's generally just standard across firms so it doesn't matter whether you have a higher level of knowledge of accounting or a smaller level of accounting with knowledge it's based on your experience when you generally move into practice so you you get to skip the cap ones as a grad you do them as a student um, exactly yeah. yeah you have a bit less stress and probably a bit of opportunity to just knuckle down at work a bit more then okay Exactly. Yeah. Um, the the other thing as well is that if you um, the other thing, yeah, exactly that that you said that it gives you that general experience. It gives you that extra time to maybe work on your experience and work, um, as opposed to be studying and working at the same time. Um, f- you know, f- in terms of for your whole contracts so of a contract length is three year, and you have an exemption from your cap ones. Obviously, you know, you won't be studying every single year, which is which is beneficial. Yeah. Okay. Now we've heard. Um... 
we've heard a few people on this podcast talk about like different paths and little freakouts in college and didn't know what to do and all that sort of stuff. It seems like you were pretty solid. Just you, you, you kind of knew what you wanted to do and you picked a course that matched it perfectly. Uh, how did your thinking around this evolve throughout college? Yeah, so um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I've seen it many times where people go in and they're not, maybe not 100% sure on what they want to do. Um, for me, it was a bit different because I there was two sides. So the first thing I did is I wanted I wanted to pick something that I was good at. Um, so I was absolutely terrible at you know everything in everything in school other than maths, business, and accounting. Um, so they were like my only three subjects which I was actually half decent at. The other side of it then is that I do I did have an interest in accounting and I did have an interest in finance in general. Um, so whether from a specific perspective, I really like sporting finance, um, and I'm re I'm really interested in football as well. So it's kind of the financing around let's say transfer windows, um, and you know how do clubs manage their transfer budgets and how do they manage the day to day spending of clubs like that. So generally that's how I kind of pigeonhole myself into um, that accounting stream, uh, if you want to say that. And then as I moved throughout my college days, absolutely, I very much felt like I'd made the right choice. I was very interested in everything that I was doing. Um, I was very interested in the subjects that I was doing. And probably because of that, it enabled me to, you know, do quite well in the majority of my subjects and achieve, um, you know, a very good uh, degree at the end of it, ultimately. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, you got a first class honours, which is uh, something I can't relate to, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah. you obviously went into, you did the uh, chartered accounts, you went in uh, internship in PwC and took the job there. Did you think about doing anything else? Did you think about doing uh, finance or trading or any of that sort of stuff? Yeah. So um, so the way that which the PwC um, contract came about was that in my first year, um, I ended up uh, actually getting an award from PwC for attaining their highest results um, in NUI, in NUIMI class. Um, so I actually got offered the summer internship as a result of that. And basically, I went on and did my summer internship and then from that got offered uh, an internship for a further six months and then basically after that got the final contract in terms of other opportunities absolutely i i, I also had other interviews um for other businesses as well um not just specifically uh, audit related but also accounting um and finance related and i've also done uh, i also did subjects in college which related to um you know stock markets and how maybe how the finance market works um in terms of those jobs ever materializing, I think why the reason why I chose audit and ultimately PwC was more so that I wanted to become, um, I wanted to get the chartered accounting qualification. And I just, um, you know, from experience of talking to people and also just kind of hearing about the general um, supports that they offer um, in terms of that kind of academic background, uh, I thought the PwC and, and to be honest, any big four um, would be the place to go. It does make a huge difference to have that. One difference I've noticed with PwC and the other big four, just from kind of talking to people there is, and it's a theme that's actually been on this podcast, the technical skills that PwC kind of push you to learn with different uh, data tools and all this sort of stuff, that seems to be a real edge they have. Now, yeah. we've spoken to people in different teams. You're in, in uh, Wealth Management Advisory. Do you see any of that sort of stuff as well? Or, or what does your kind of day-to-day skill set look like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's as actually ever since, um, and I suppose just before COVID uh, hit us all, um, we were actually transitioning into a digital age in the firm. So we've actually transitioned, um, <clears throat> excuse me, from working from home actually quite well. 
Um, and I suppose the, the digital age has helped that massively. So we're starting to utilize, um, you're, we're starting to utilize tools such as Alteryx, Tableau, um, you know, we're, we're using uh, specific platforms uh, for our emails, for our meetings. Um, so all that's kind of facilitated us in a very, very positive way. I think as well in terms of the day-to-day skill set as well as our analytical skills as auditors have improved mm-hmm. massively. So I, maybe in the past, I think that the, the general um, uh, critics and criticism uh, would say that we, you know, all we do is we just recalculate and we look at numbers and we just recalculate it constantly and there's no real analysis to it. So in terms of what we are able to bring now is by using these technology tools, we're able to allow the technology, which is very, very reliable and ultimately increases our reliance on the number side of it. And then what we can do then is look at the analysis side of it. So maybe if something has moved from one year to the next year, why is it moved in a particular way or if something may has not moved why has it not moved in a particular way and it's ultimately also given us um, scope to comment on other things such as going concern of a business you know uh, also things like estimating you know how do businesses estimate things what models are they using so we're not we're, we're, we're transitioning now more into analysts as opposed to auditors I would say yeah and at the risk of sounding cliche like just hearing you talk there it really empowers people uh, yeah you know, more junior people to go and find answers rather than just ask questions and this sort of thing. Absolutely, and 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 the firm and the firm as well, and and not only in PwC but the big four, but the but PwC are especially pushing that digital age um, upon the kind of the junior staff and the senior staff also. But we're running things like digital academies to get our junior staff, um, you know, more so uh, familiar with tools like Alteryx and Tableau and how we can utilize them to improve the audit process. And I think what I've seen ever since when I started my contract to now is that I'm seeing that there's a lot more acceptance towards these digital tools, and there's also also um, an acceptance of change and ultimately the change is massively helping uh, massively helping jobs and helping people to perform their jobs a lot better and also become yeah. more efficient it's a very good it's, it's obviously an upskilling but it's such a good kind of translator into the future workplace where data will be it's almost like yeah. being fluent in english being fluent yeah. in data is going to be really important yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, as I said, it's it, it, it's absolutely that. It's it's more it's more so of the case that you we need to just constantly focus on technology because ultimately, at the end of it, um, in in the future time, we are we are beginning to rely heavily on technology, and it's only going to improve um, as we move into the future. Yeah. So when people hear about PwC, they think about the audit teams and the consulting teams and risk assurance or whatever else it may be. There's there's tons of them. One we don't hear of. Uh, as much is the asset management and uh, asset and wealth management. What yeah. do you guys do? I'm guessing it's a small team in the business within there. So it, we're actually part of the audit group. Um, so our audit group is actually split into essentially three teams, um, which is our core assurance, um, which is our uh, INDB, as we call it. So that's indigenous um, businesses. So that would generally include kind of all types of businesses apart from the specialized businesses. And then we have um, banking and financing, um, which is generally goes into like our lease, uh, aircraft leasing and our banks. And then myself and our team here uh, is Aston Wealth Management. Uh, so the Aston Wealth Management, we generally deal with uh, the likes of investment funds. Um, and, you know, it's not just investment funds in equity and bonds, but it might also be investment funds in terms of properties. Um, and might also be things like that. Uh, maybe that certain people might invest into debt and, you know, distressed debt and also stock markets. So that's what we do. We're part of the audit team. Um, but we're just uh, auditing specific investment funds and and, and entities, if that makes That's sense. You. Interesting. Okay, that, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, 
a lot of people will try to get into, say, hedge funds or, or wealth and asset management companies, like the principal companies that take the risk. Yeah. And, you know, a college student can't add much value to those people. They probably need to go off and get some experience in the industry first. Do you Absolutely. see or hear of people going from this team and this division into that kind of area directly? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's generally um, it's generally if you work in asset and wealth management, your number one, if, if recruiters were to come and look for you, um, it's generally probably the first thing that you're going to be offered um, is a specialised uh, job in something to do with asset and wealth management, something maybe to do with investment, something maybe around a stockbroking business. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's definitely something that, you, that you'd that you see um, jobs coming in. The other side of it as well is that we deal with um, what we call the administrator or otherwise known as the accountants um, to the fund. And generally a lot of um, people who may move on from uh, big four and PwC and asset wealth management would move into these administrators maybe as fund accountants or may move into the financial reporting teams where they would be actually producing the financial statements um, for these yeah. funds. Yeah, and okay, so you're just you're at the other side of the table there. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. It's just a transition. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, very that's well said. That's going to be very interesting for student, young students to hear about if they're coming out of. I, I went to UCD, so I kind of think in those terms about economics and finance and these other courses where yeah. uh, fund management is kind of like the holy grail for these yeah. people. But they need to go and get themselves some skills and some scars on their backs uh, before yeah. going in. I think this is a really good. Kind of opportunity for them yeah like and and I, I suppose like one thing i just didn't really reach on there is that it, as you said when you maybe move on or if you were to move on to the fund account or the financial reporting teams at the administration you see the other side but when you're in the auditing team you're seeing that process move from the initial point of uh, contact which is the initial financial statements and the initial workings and then we're seeing that process through until the end and we essentially see the final product so yeah, okay. it is a it is a great it's a great experience that you can obtain in terms of understanding that beginning of process to end process, and I yeah. think that's ultimately why we do gather the skills, and I think that's why we are so employable and in in the eyes of those um, administrators. Yeah, and are you client facing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're constantly in touch. We're constantly in touch with the client over. So, firstly, our first port of contact will obviously be with the accountants to to the fund because they do the numbers, and they would ultimately go through, um, you know, what's needed and maybe what's not needed. However, we we do have to talk to the client on certain things. So, one thing I said before, which was on going concern. So, going concern obviously has to be assessed at the client perspective. Other things may also be like direct information. So any maybe government documents, like um, maybe anything like a prospectus, which basically says what the fund can and can't do. That would all come from the client. So yeah, absolutely. You're, you're in direct contact with um, very, very high up people and certainly people um, who, who, you know, you wouldn't generally kind of get to talk, you, you wouldn't generally kind of get to talk to and interact with um, yeah. if you were just part of a general kind of business, you know? And they say that, like the, the kind of word on the street, I guess, is that a lot of the Irish property market is is owned and run by foreign funds. And so you're you're in I, I've, working in investment banks and stuff. A lot of the thing that drives people, and it's totally understandable, is that they're working on the deals that they read about in the paper. And that's a really rare opportunity to have. And it sounds like this team you're in kind of does a bit of that, which is really really cool. I think and uh, yeah, that would appeal to a lot of people. Absolutely, absolutely. So if I, so obviously for, excuse me, for confidentiality purposes, I can't say anything yeah, specific. But if, but if I'm, if I, but if I'm looking, um, I've, I've been, I was working on a job, um, in the past year, and essentially it was a building, and uh, this was sorry pre-COVID, and I actually only realised when I was working on this job, I'd actually been in the building that I was looking at. 
Right. And so, it, so it was a bit crazy, and I was thinking, I know that from somewhere. I just saw a photo of it, and I said, I think yeah. I've been there before. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's crazy to think like that. So you are, you are ingrained in that, and you are looking at maybe, you know, buildings, or you're looking at various businesses that, you know, you've seen on the outside, or that you've actually been in yourself. So yeah, yeah. it's quite interesting. It's a really cool thing. Now, the flip side of that, of doing kind of like important work is that, or, or work on big projects, is that people kind of get this imposter syndrome thing going on, or that they're in college and they're listening to you talking now and they're saying, that sounds class, but how the hell am I going to manage that? You know, how did you work through the transition from student to grad and, you know, the taking on of that responsibility? Is there any kind of advice or ups and downs that you went through with that? Yeah, so um, ab absolutely, it 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 is a it's a difficult transition period in order to go from a student, I think, to you know full time working. Um, I think what benefited me massively is that I have done internships in the past. Yeah. Uh, so I that's a huge thing, and I think for anyone on anyone who's listening, um, not even from account perspective or business perspective, just from a general business, um, you know, a general business perspective and employment perspective, it's all about getting experience. Ultimately, a job what people want to see in a job is they want to see experience. They want to see some form that you have experience in doing something. And for PwC, it might not be accounting. They just want to see, for example, that you've done some sort of, um, you might you might have done some sort of work in the past that you work hard, that you're dedicated to your work and that you're able to perform the job. And I, I think an internship for me, what it allowed me to do firstly was obviously to work on the, you know, the actual jobs and maybe to gain a little bit of an understanding as to what they do. But ultimately, it's to meet the people in there and to show the people in there that, yes, I am approachable. Yes, I am easy to talk to. Yes, I can contribute to a team. And yes, I can have a positive influence on the team. So I think that's probably more so important is that actual networking part of it. Yeah, um, gotcha. And yeah. deciding what you think of the whole thing as well. You do. You might be mad about the idea of doing something, do it, and then not like the actual art of doing it, you know, and yeah. figure out what you want to do after that. Absolutely, absolutely. Like the other side as well is that in any work, in any form of life or any walk of life, um, there might be something that you ultimately start to do. And then after a little while, you might think, oh, well, I'm not actually enjoying this or I do very much enjoy this. But as I always say, no experience isn't a bad experience, even though it might not have gone your way. An experience is just an experience and it's always going to add to what you, you know, it's going to add to the choice that you can make in the future. Yeah. So I think that's probably a big takeaway for a lot of people that even if you didn't enjoy it, for example, you can now put on your CV, for example, that you have this, you have this job and you worked in here for six months or 12 months. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a positive regardless of what you might think of the experience. Yeah, gotcha. I'd, I'd agree for sure. You mentioned at the start there that you kind of excelled in school at the uh, logic based subjects like math and accounting yeah. and whatever else. And then we talked about the tools that are now being used, the data tools. What advice would you give to people who are looking to get into this? Like what skills are they going to be challenged on? Where are the, the skill deficiencies going to be just naturally, like the gap between education world and working world, that yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, so I, I first and foremost think that um, because we use so much technologies these days, sometimes what can be lost is that interpersonal skill and that actual human side skill. So sometimes we get so ingrained into the technology that we forget that there's a person behind the technology and we forget that there's a person maybe that we have to interact at the end of it to present. So yeah. I certainly think that that presentation skill and that networking skill and that ability to be able to just talk to somebody. And I think that is more difficult now that, 
you know, due to the whole situation around COVID. But ultimately, it can just be a five minute talk. For example, if I think back to when I was doing my internships, or even if I'm just working from home now and I'm talking to people in meetings, just to ask somebody, how's your day going? Um, what have you what have you started to do and maybe during lockdown? Like, what are you interested in? You know, did you see the game last night? Just those very, very small and simple things will actually remain with people for a lot longer. So that it's not the big grand presentation that you might make but it might be saying something that oh my god I, I remember that person because they asked me you know how the game was last night or they might be a Liverpool supporter they might be you know they might know somebody um in the Irish rugby team for example they might you know it's just those very very small things that the pe that people will remember at a constant yeah. basis I certainly think that networking and just that general chit chat is something that can be lost at time because we're focusing on so many other things yeah you're a very good communicator. Did you work on that, or is that just something that kind of comes naturally? It's. I would say that. So I used to play a lot of sport when I was younger. Um. Now with uh, with just with now with COVID and stuff, I'm just not playing as much anymore. But generally, I I have been a good communicator, but I did have to work on it. And the way that I worked on it was I would just talk to people. Just I, I just really, really enjoy talking to people. Um, whether that be, you know, going whether that be talking to my parents about something, whether that be talking to my friends about something. I'm not afraid just to have a chat about something. My my biggest fear <laughs> out of anything is just silence. I hate <laughs> silence. I hate silence. I hate awkward silences. I hate silence in terms of not having anything to talk about people. Now, obviously, I do have time to think to myself, but I love talking to people about anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be important. It doesn't have to be anything. It can just be like there's there's many days where if, if I have a bad day or something like that, I might just rant and rave to somebody. <laughs> um and, and, and it doesn't it doesn't have to mean anything. It just means I'm getting it off my chest and then they tell me and then I'll say something back to them. So that communication side of it is just practice and talking to people. Um yeah. goes back to goes back to the previous point. You know, I think with all the reliance on technology, sometimes we forget that you know there's a person on the other side and you know ultimately you do have to talk um and there should be a there should be a bigger emphasis i think on talking and communicating I agree. Um, and i think that's one of the big big life skills that people do need to work on and you never get to a point where you're happy with it i think that's the other side of it you, yeah, you always have to just practice it's an art as opposed to a, a science sort of where you get to 100 percent. exactly 100 percent and as you say, I think especially during COVID, people need that expression and just to hear other people's expressions as well. And there's a human thing there that matters uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Before I lose you, there's a couple of uh, quick fires I might just uh, surprise or throw upon you if that's okay. So now, now um, I'm very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a, a favorite book to recommend people uh, that would that would help in the years that you've had so far. Oh, a favorite book. Uh, or resorts like podcasts or anything that might help these okay I'm, I'm 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 a very very poor i'm a very very poor um uh reader admittedly i i very very rarely read books um in terms of podcast um i am well i i, I suppose comedy podcasts are my one thing but uh, there's actually a very very good one currently which is uh tommy and hector's podcast oh, yeah. which is fantastic for just listening to guys who can tell stories for hours about absolutely nothing and well, if you can act it, it's actually brilliant and um, the reason why i like it is because as i said 
they could be on that for 40 minutes. And after 40 minutes, I would be thinking to guys, I'd be thinking to myself, how on earth have they got 40 minutes and they haven't said anything? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a fantastic communicate. It's fast. I think it's a fantastic and very fascinating way of communicating. Yeah. And I think that's just important as well. It can't all be productivity and efficiency. Like we're not, we're not robots. No. Um, so that's one. I saw on your LinkedIn a really cool quote, but is there a quote that you live by? Uh, oh, the quote that I would live by is that, you know, hard work and hard work and dedication w will get you further than any sort of cumulative knowledge. Nice. And, and that's then... my that's my that's my dedicated um, attitude. I think that's the only thing that can get me uh, to where I want to be, you know, in nice. future goals. That links up with the one on your LinkedIn, which is every day is a school day. So never exactly. stop pretty much. And yeah. then the last one, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, that's that's a brilliant one. <laughs> the best advice I was ever given was my dad, actually. Um, we, he, he talked about this, Rage, and he said, Patrick, what you do for while you're in school, what you do for the next five years will determine how the next 50 years of your life will go. Wow. And, and that was, to me, I was thinking, I was thinking, and then what I do in five years will determine the 50 years. And I hate to say he's right because he normally, because he'll probably come back to me and say, I told you so. But yeah, it's the best bit of advice I've ever gotten is that the hard work that I've put in for the last, that I put in throughout college has given me loads of opportunities. Um, cool. You know, now what I have now, and I'm sure in the future, it'll present more opportunities again. It puts you on a path. I hope he said no pressure after he said it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. He he piled on he piled on the pressure even more, and he, and he just and he and he said, "Don't come home now if you fail that test tomorrow." Well, it's it's worked well to be fair to him. You're in a very good spot, and uh, I and the Grab Life audience really appreciate you coming on today and, and chatting to us. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.